I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. John chapter 6 verse 51. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus is not an abstract poet. He never exaggerates. He only tells the truth because he is the truth. But because many of the truths that Jesus tells are hard, I think we're inclined to hear him as sort of being fanciful and poetical when he speaks like he does this morning, saying things like, I am bread. Jesus is not being fanciful. Uh, Of course, he's not literally a loaf of bread. But when he says this, he's not being less than literal. He's being more than literal. He's speaking about things that are spiritual, which are more real than what is touchable and tasteable and known to us. In fact, it's the case that um, everything God has made in the physical world, everything that you can see and touch and taste, he created partly with a purpose to teach us about what is unseen. And all of his creation points to him and points to invisible realities if we have the eyes to see it. So the reason God gave us as humans, he could have made us any which way, right? We could have been like any number of God's varied uh, creatures. But he's given us mouths and bellies and food to teach us that similarly our souls are hungry. We need something from outside of us to come into us to give us life, right? That's what food is, right? You take something that exists in the world, put it in here, and by a miracle of God's creation and digestive juices, and I have no idea how it really works, um, but it keeps you alive, right? And this is a teaching point. Jesus is saying, um, God, in God, God in making the world this way is showing us that in the unseen places, in our souls, similarly, we need something to keep us alive. Now, it is the case that since the beginning of creation, Genesis 1, um, the second person of the Trinity, the Word of God, the one who would eventually take on flesh from Mary and manifest himself as Jesus of Nazareth, the Word of God has always been sustaining and upholding the world, the spiritual world and the physical world. This is the profound and deep teaching of Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, which says, In Jesus, all things hold together. He is the sustaining and organizing principle of the entire cosmos, and he always has been. The trains agree. <laughs> But um, for long ages, mankind has sort of, in many different ways, been kind of reaching out into the dark, trying to figure out who is the God that made everything that is and is obviously sustaining it. Paul talks about this when he addresses the philosophers in Athens in Acts chapter 17. He says, God made man that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. There was sort of a seeking in the dark, a darkness which... God began to end when he revealed himself in light on the top of Mount Sinai in the time of Moses, as we're sort of looking at the biblical narrative in adult ed right now, around 1500 BC. 
God began to disclose more really who he was through signs and words, through a burning bush, through a law, through these powerful acts of deliverance. And one of these signs that God does in the time of Moses is out of thin air, he makes bread fall on the ground for the people to collect to eat. While they're wandering in a desert where you have no arable land, no sustainable like agriculture or animals to eat, when they're living in a barren wilderness, they've just fled from their captors carrying only, you know, with only what they could carry. God makes miraculous bread fall, not once, but every day, except the Sabbath, six days a week, for 40 years. Right? There's no sort of natural phenomenon that you could point to. Maybe once, one time, a loaf of bread might fall from a storm, but bread on the ground every morning to eat for 40 years is a miracle of God. And like all of his miracles, he's disclosing something about himself to his people. And in giving manna in the desert, he's saying, I am the God that sustains the universe. Look, I'm sustaining you when sustenance looked impossible. Right? He's revealing the God of Abraham is the God who made the cosmos, is the one who's actively sustaining it. And look, here's some more bread on the ground. Miracle. And the word manna, if you, as you study the scriptures, is Hebrew for what is it? That's what manna means. If you wanted to say what is it, you just said manna. Like manna. Like what? It, just, it was just a surprise. A surprise that shows that, that it is God who is sustaining the world. Um, fast forward 1,500 years past Moses to the time of our Lord Jesus when the word of God himself has become incarnate and is wandering around Israel teaching stuff and eating meals with sinners healing people and on one day in particular when a crowd has come to listen to his teaching and he sees that they're hungry he takes five loaves and multiplies it to feed 5,000. Right? Do you see the parallel there with the manna in the wilderness? Like here's a person making food out of nothing for hungry people. Right? Jesus is doing in the flesh the very thing he did from up in heaven by pouring down miraculous food for hungry people. And then as now, free food is a popular concept. <laughs> so the people came back the next day, you can bet on it. And they crowd in around Jesus and Jesus seizes the teaching moment to say, okay, take what's happened physically and look for what it's teaching spiritually. John chapter 6 verse 27, a few verses before our reading this morning. The crowd has come again and Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, meaning just good old regular bread, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So he's saying, oh, yeah, bread is good, that's why I gave it to you, but don't stop there. Look for the real stuff, the eternal life bread, the living bread, which Jesus then goes on to say in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Right? This would have been as confusing to them as it is to us at first blush. Like, you need bread, I am bread. Like, mm. <laughs> I mean, it, it, we actually see, as we'll see in our gospel lesson next week, and actually this, um, the Jews are like, what on earth is this guy talking about? But Jesus, it's like this sort of this march of teaching, just building on itself. He clarifies what he means. In verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Now here's the clarification. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, Jesus doesn't mean that if you're a Christian, you're never going to need water again, right? He's talking about spiritual things. You'll never thirst spiritually. Your soul will be satisfied if you come to me. 
And it's this point of coming to him, not just abstractly, but believing, that Jesus drills home four different times, that it's belief that is everything. In verse 40 he says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. It's believe, believe, belief, belief. And that's all backdrop to the gospel that we just heard, where Jesus gathers the same teaching and marches it one step further. Verse 47, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread. Eat and live forever. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, look, he is the one who's been sustaining, he is the word of God. He's been sustaining creation since creation began. And now here he is in the flesh saying, it's me. I'm the one who you've been looking for. I am God revealed in the flesh, the sustainer of the world. Look at these miracles and see who I really am. You need not just daily physical food, but a relationship with me. You need to believe in me in order to live to be truly satisfied spiritually, to not be existentially lost. Jesus is the giver of life, not only in a general cosmic sense, like Colossians, the one holding it all together, but radically in one very particular concrete sense, and he names this in verse 51. He's talking, you know, he's, he's said he's the bread in four different ways, back to back, and then he says in verse 51, look, the bread I will give is my flesh. And what he's saying there is he's prophesying what he says several times in the Gospels is he's saying, I'm going to die on a cross. And he says it many different times. I'm going to die on a cross. And this is not an accident. This is my giving of my flesh, as it says in John 6.51, for the life of the world. He gave his flesh for our ransom to atone for our sins, to bear the punishments of the whole world not begrudgingly, but because he loves us. I was haunted by something I heard a teacher say the other day. We all know John 3.16 by memory, right? I know I have to look at the bulletin when I say it because it's a slightly different translation than I have memorized. But it's, you know, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not die, but have everlasting life. We all know that, but I heard a teacher say, so many of us sort of sneakily interpret that as God so hated the world that he had to punish his son just to take care of it. Right? Like when we see the cross, we need to see the love of God, the self-offering, the free gift of God. He doesn't hate the world, he loves the world. He doesn't just sort of arbitrarily punishing his son, he's offering his son, and his son offers himself, right? When he says, I will give, the son is offering himself on the cross for the life of the world. So Jesus is talking about spiritual things, right? Believe in me, have eternal life. But then he kind of brings it back around and says, the, the bread that will give you eternal life is my flesh. He actually loops the conversation back around from the spiritual to the physical, to his own flesh and blood. Flesh is not a metaphor. Bread is a metaphor. Flesh was the blood and the bones and the muscles and the organs that made up Jesus' body. And he's actually teaching here out of his own incarnation. He's saying he himself is the conjoining one between heaven and earth. He himself is fully God and fully man. So spiritual life is going to be brought through his physical body. Right? I mean, this actually should blow our minds. It, it, it takes a bit to sort of think about, but this is the truth of the incarnation, that through his physical life, he is bringing 
the blessings of heaven, his body is the portal through which eternal life comes. In Christ, the physical and the spiritual are now connected. Right? We're not just sort of groping in the dark blind like it was before. Now, the invisible has been made visible. The word has been made flesh. And we receive this God-man, this word made flesh. We receive the bread of life by believing in him, by believing who he is, that this is really true, and by believing on his cross. And not believing in some cold way, but look at the metaphor Jesus has chosen, like how we eat. Right? I think most of us, when we think about believing, we think about something kind of calculated and intellectual, and eating is something kind of carnal, and just, well, at least the way I eat, kind of shovel it in. Um, <laughs> I probably should eat with a bit more calculation. Um, that's actually something I've been working on for a long, long time, actually. Um, but Jesus is saying, believe like how you eat, with hunger, with an open mouth, with a sense of need. That's what believing looks like, like, belief, what is that? It's after a concept. The best we know how to describe it as Christians is the words Jesus said about it. It's kind of like eating. It's, and like, you know, we're giving sort of a 3D image for something in the invisible realm. It's like, I sink my teeth into who God is because I need him. That's what it means to believe. Because you could hammer out in fine words, well, what's the difference between trust and faithful trust and committed faithful, you know, you could hammer out technical terms. Jesus says, it's like eating. True belief is like eating. If you approach Jesus the way with your heart, the way you'd approach food, you've got it right. Come to him hungry. Come to him looking for life and he will feed you. And here's the, the really cool part. Um, not just spiritually, right? When we believe in Jesus, we do have, our spirit is revived and our soul will live forever in the presence of God when we die. It is a spiritual life that is eternal. But not just spiritual. As it says in this passage in John chapter 6, he will raise up those who have this life within them on the last day. He's going to raise our bodies too. Because Jesus is fully man, body and spirit, because he's fully God, the life he's giving is for our souls now and forever and also for our bodies. He's going to raise up corpses from the ground and transform them just like his body was transformed. That's what he means by eternal life. It's the whole package, spirit and body. And it all comes from his flesh, which was offered on the cross. That's the source of our life, our spiritual life, our physical life. The, um, the fact that our lectionary has John chapter 6 uh, has come at a very great moment because also, uh, as a church... Um, we received a, a gift of a crucifix. Um, and I know for some of you, a crucifix, there's a bit of hesitancy with it as a symbol. It's like, I grew up Baptist. My dad's a Baptist minister. Believe me. <laughs> I understand the hesitance about looking at a crucifix. But one of the things I've discovered after looking at a crucifix in prayer and having one sort of centrally, I, I intend to hang it um, up high up above here at the very top. I'm sort of... Uh, overlooking face is it's such a concrete reminder of the actual source of our life, right? It is the case that a bare, beautiful golden cross communicates that the cross is empty. Jesus is risen from the grave. Hallelujah! But that doesn't negate the fact that he was crucified and that St. Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 3, I preach nothing but Christ crucified. Even though Christ was right there and risen. 
I preach Christ crucified. And it's good to behold Christ crucified because there is a danger of always wanting to make the Christian faith into what we want it to be. Of looking at a gold cross and ignoring the full real symbolism of it and saying, yeah, you know, let's just get material blessings and a nice happy life and, you know, pick whatever way the gospel is distorted in our day and age. A crucifix never lets you do that. It says, no, no, this is where life came from, from the God-man who died for us. And this is what he calls us to, right? Ephesians 5, we just read it. Be imitators of God as beloved children. We're called to walk on the path of the cross, which will often be painful. And so the crucifix in itself communicates sort of the painful truth of the gospel as well as the life-giving truth of the gospel. That There's no abstract Jesus we believe in. It's a very concrete man who had kneecaps and toes and hair, who suffered for us, who gave his flesh for the life of the world. And even though right now our Lord is gloriously risen at the right hand of the Father, the thing he's pleading at the right hand of the Father is the merits of his own death. He's interceding with us, not just saying, oh, Father, just forgive them because I'm asking. He's saying, forgive them because they're in me, because I died for their sins. He's pleading the cross before the Father. So I'm delighted to have a crucifix. I'm thrilled at the prospect of having it hung up in our church um, as a very concrete reminder of exactly what we hear in John chapter 6. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. There's something concrete and tricky and sort of, when you look at a crucifix, if if there's a sense of, what am I looking at? That's right. Because Jesus is giving us something scandalizing to the Greeks and to the Jews. uh, Something powerful that spiritual eyes discern. So I wanted to introduce this thing. And as part of um, its introduction, you'll notice we've slightly clarified so as to avoid sort of a symbolic clutter we've taken the icons down from the set from the sanctuary and we'll have them up again in lent each lent where we walk the way of the cross but in general that we have sort of a single focal point um, of christ crucified and lifted up high because he's pleading that crucifixion in heaven and knowing that he's risen and with us present so i wanted to introduce that as well The, um, th- this is the end of my sermon. Um, I have no good segue because I want to say so much more, which I'm saving for next week's sermon. So I beg you, if you had any other plans or something, that to, if you can't make it next Sunday, definitely listen online. Um, because Jesus, as we're going to see in next week's gospel lesson, connects his own gift of himself on the cross with the memorial gift he gives us in Holy Communion. Right, probably as a church that worships regularly with Holy Communion, when you hear bread of life, you're like, oh yeah, bread of life, I get it. There's a Eucharistic, and there is a Eucharistic connection there. That with Communion, we commemorate with real bread, the bread of life. Right? They're connected. Jesus is the master storyteller and the master architect of the cosmos and our salvation. These things are not accidentally connected. Right? He's teaching about how you're supposed to believe in him, and then giving us a tangible means so that we can enact and lay hold of that belief more fully. So we can believe not just with our minds, but with our bodies, by receiving bread and receiving the very meal, he said, do this in remembrance of me, which is where we'll pick up next Sunday. But the connecting point, I'll just say this, is that the memorial meal we celebrate now 
allows us to participate in the giving of the life-giving bread 2,000 years ago. I'll say more about that next, next week. I'll close with this, that in communion, which we're about to celebrate, thanks be to God, we do in a very special way, in a unique way, what we can and should be doing at all times, which is feeding on God in our hearts. Now here we have more than just our hearts, we actually also get to put bread in our mouths. But at all times we can be feeding, this is sort of the archetype of which the rest of our Christian life is a pattern on, of coming to God like this. At the rail, right? Hands up, Lord, I believe in you. I believe in you. Feed me, strengthen me today. Like that's what Jesus says eternal life comes from. Feeding on him, as we say in the liturgy, on our, in our hearts, by faith, with thanksgiving. Amen.